All right, Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know what it was like where you were standing, and this is no compliment to Brother Rusty, but uh, the singing was really good from where I was at. And again, I don't think it had anything to do with Brother Rusty, but uh, I enjoyed the singing tonight. It was a blessing, and so I appreciate you singing out, and uh, we'll give that credit to Terry. How about that? But uh, anyways, appreciate the singing. I appreciate the special. There's a challenge in that song if we listened and if we gave attention to it, because most of us have places in our heart that we don't want to go. And... Uh, if we'll surrender that to the Lord, it sure does make it better. It sure does. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that we can be in your house tonight. I am so thankful for the music that we've enjoyed. It's just been good. Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight to uh, say what you've laid upon my heart. I pray that you'd help me to communicate it in such a way that we would be challenged by it. And God, that uh, maybe this evening we would even make some choices that would uh, lead to a, a finale that we would be happy with and that we would be thankful for. So I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think most of you know that for several weeks now we've been in Hebrews chapter 11. And of course, as we have gone through this, I have referred to Hebrews chapter 11 at different times as kind of the hall of fame of faith. And other people have identified it in other ways. But we know that this entire chapter is dealing with great men and women by way of examples of faith. And so last week, or two weeks ago rather, we looked in verses 17 down through 19 and watched where the writer spoke of Abraham and how God commanded him, how he was tried. Uh, God commanded him to give up his son, his only son, the son that he loved, that being Isaac, to offer him as a sacrifice, to see to the extent that Abraham feared the Lord. And we know that Abraham passed that test perfectly because Abraham came to a place in his faith where he knew that even if he had to go through the process of sacrificing Isaac, God was going to restore him and God was going to raise him up. And so Abraham had got past his doubts, he had gotten past his fears, and he had total confidence that God would give back to him whatever he asked to give, uh, commanded him to give up. And the, the, the message two weeks ago, I don't know if it stuck with us, I don't know if it challenged us or not, but I tried to remind us that sometimes God is going to test us and ask us to give up things that are dear and special to us. And if we're honest, I think many times we would have to admit we struggle because we're afraid or we, we have doubts as to what we're letting go of and what's going to happen if we surrender these things to the Lord. And we need to be reminded of this truth. That if God asks us to give up something, whether it be our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions, the dreams that we have for our kids, whatever it may be, if God asks us to give something up, he will either give it back to us at some point in the future when we're ready for it, or he'll replace it with something far better than we ever dreamed possible. It's hard for us to accept that sometimes, but it is true. It absolutely is true. And so that's what we dealt with a couple of weeks ago. Tonight we're moving on. As we do, I, I want to begin by using an illustration that I have used, I'm sure, on many occasions, at least the, 
the approach to it, and I know that I'm not the only teacher or preacher to ever use this kind of an analogy to try to illustrate a point. But this evening, I want us to think about sports, and I want us to think about athletes, and it has nothing to do with the events of today, but I just, I want us to think about sports, and I want us to think about athletes. Here is what all of us know, is that throughout the course of a general year, a typical year, millions of people will compete in sports at some level or another, whether it be the peewees or the middle schoolers, junior hires, high schoolers, whatever it may be, there are going to be millions and millions of people who compete. Very rarely, but of course every year, there are those who make it into the highest level of their particular sport, and we would call that the professional level, would we not? Those who play professional football, professional basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever it may be, they have really, in a sense, reached the height or the pinnacle of what would be measured success in the realm of athletics. And so here they are, they are a professional athlete, they have accomplished many things, And yet here's what we also know is that for many of the athletes who reach the professional ranks, in just a few years their careers are going to be done and they'll just kind of fade back into normal humanity. They have a few years to play their sport. They have a few years to kind of enjoy that dream, whatever it may be that they're pursuing. But after a few years they'll just kind of fade back into society without a lot of fanfare, without a lot of hype, without a lot of drama. It's just going to be a transition back into that stage of life. However, in every sport, there are these things that we refer to as all-stars. I know I've talked about this before, but they are the ones who are exceptional even among their peers in the realm of professional athletes. These are the ones who become the the household names. These are the ones who become the franchise players. And these are the ones who are loved and adored by fans well after they're done with the sport. And as you think about these all-stars, as you think about the ones who, who have been the best of the best, here is what you know, here is what we all understand, is that no matter how good they are, they have certainly had their share of failures in their sports that they're associated with. You understand this, right? So I don't know exactly what you're talking about, or I'd rather just sit here and think about something else. Well, I mean this. The greatest quarterback to ever play the game has thrown their fair share of interceptions. It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how great they are. They've thrown their fair share of interceptions. It doesn't matter how fantastic the slugger is. They have struck out on many occasions. It doesn't matter how wonderful of a shooter the basketball player is. They have had those moments where they had the ball in the final seconds of a game in hopes of winning the game with that final shot, only to put up that final shot and to brick it off the backboard and not win the game. It's happened to the greatest of athletes where they have had their failures, where they have had those moments that they would like to forget But that is just a part of the process, and that is a part of playing the game that they love. And so as you think about that, I want us to think about one more aspect of these professional athletes who are the all-stars, because, again, where the message is headed and how I think it can kind of work in everyday life, if we'll think about it, these all-stars 
who have enjoyed great successes in addition to their failures, if they could script the perfect career, here is what every one of them would want. To go out on top. To go out on top. Meaning, if they could play their career, enjoy their success, make their money, gain their fame and popularity, if they could do all of that and then their final game be that moment where they were the champion and they could retire and fade into the sunset that way, well, it would be wonderful from their perspective. But it seldom happens that way. Most people don't get to go out on top, and here's why for so many, of course not everyone, and we're almost done, but they don't go out on top many times because of personal decisions that they make that influence how they go out. So with personal decisions they make, they end up going out in a way that they wish they didn't have to go out. If they could go back and do it, they'd say, man, I'd change some things because I would have much rather gone out looking good than going out the way I went out. But that was because of decisions they made. Now this evening, I want us to think about something as it relates to this chapter that we've been in the last few weeks, these men and women of faith. I want us to think about this truth. That though these men and women are kind of the great examples of faith given to you and I, recorded in Scripture for thousands of years for our benefit, here is what we know, that not one of these individuals was without their faults and without their flaws and without their failures. Can we, like, at least nod? Every one of these people had some faults and flaws and failures in their lives, did they not? Okay, I mean, I don't need a big response, but at least nod and let me know we're alive, okay? If you're streaming the game right now, quit. Okay, just quit. We'll get to it in a moment. But, but I mean, every one of these people in chapter 11, it doesn't matter that they've made it into chapter 11. We cannot lose sight of this fact. We cannot lose sight of this truth that they had faults and flaws and failures just like everyone else, and yet there was something about them that God said, your faith is worthy to be remembered, and it was recorded so that you and I might benefit from it. Okay, so as we think about that tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three verses of Scripture very quickly because we're going to look at several other verses of Scripture, because the first three verses of Scripture don't tell us a whole lot. And we're going to be looking at a man by the name of Isaac, another man by the name of Jacob, and another man by the name of Joseph. And here's what we know out of the three names that I just mentioned. Two of them were not in their days, in their glory days, so to speak, the most... Uh, admirable of men when it came to their lifestyles and their lives of faith. 
Okay, if you read through the stories of Isaac and Jacob, you understand that they were not necessarily loved by the masses and they were not necessarily the ones that you would point to in their early days and say, hey, kiddos, that's what you want to be like. That's who you want to follow by way of example. Now, Joseph, on the other hand, a wonderful example. Why he's lumped in here with these other two yahoos, I don't quite understand, but that's how God designed it, so that's how we're going to look at it. So notice in verse number 20 what it says. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I thought to myself, what in the world do you preach with that verse? So he blessed them with things to come or concerning things to come. So I looked in verse number 21 and it says, By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. So I said to myself, okay, well in verse number 20, we've got Isaac blessing his kids concerning things to come. And we've got in verse number 21, Jacob, who is blessing both the sons of Joseph while leaning upon the top of his staff. And again, I thought, what do you do with this? Then in verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, would you be honest enough tonight to admit this with me, that whenever you read those three verses, you're not thinking to yourself, wow, what an example. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You don't say, Lord, let me be like Isaac. Because you don't even know what that means. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both his sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. God, when I'm dying, help me to worship you on top of my staff. Uh, What? Verse number 22, Joseph made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandments concerning his bones. Thanks. What do all three of these verses have in common by way of these men who are mentioned? What we have is this, a record of what was done in the closing days of their lives. This is what Isaac did in the final stages, in the final days, in the closing moments of his life. This is what Jacob did, and this is what Joseph did. So then the question might be this, well, what in the world did they do? So turn over now to Genesis Genesis chapter 27. If you look at Genesis chapter 27, verse number 28... Verse number 26, rather, it says, And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Verse number 28, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, 
and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Look in verses 39 and 40. It says, And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And by the sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Now I know that this is kind of a, a, a lumpy piece that we're trying to put together, but here's what you find if you were to consider the context of chapter 27 and what is happening. You've got Isaac who has blessed Jacob and Esau. Now, in the mind of Jacob, or Isaac rather, the initial blessing was supposed to go to Isaac, but because of God's plan and the deception of Jacob, who was not, again, the most reputable of people at this time, the, the, the blessing went to Jacob, but Isaac also received a blessing. I'm sorry, Esau also received a blessing from Isaac. And what did Isaac declare, essentially, he declared that God was going to raise up in Jacob and Esau a great nation, a great people. Primarily, obviously, through Jacob, but Esau was also going to be blessed in his own right. Now, that's what Isaac did. What did Jacob do? We'll turn over to Genesis chapter 48. In Genesis chapter 48, what we have is Jacob, who is in the closing days of his life, and he is with his son, Joseph, and the two sons of Joseph. And in verse number 4, it says that Jacob said, And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and I will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. Now that is what God Almighty appeared unto Jacob and said. And he is relating that now to Joseph and to Joseph's sons. So look now in verse number 15. We'll read just a few verses so that we can hopefully see this. It says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, but this, or for this is the firstborn, put thy right hand upon his head." And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brothers shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, 
Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Now, what in the world did Jacob just do to the sons of Joseph in the presence of Joseph? He just said unto them, I want you to know that God is going to raise up a mighty nation and a mighty people through you. And God is going to bring you into a land that has been promised unto our lineage, unto our people. And so do you see this? Here is Isaac saying to the sons or to his sons, Jacob and Esau, God is going to raise up in you a mighty nation, a mighty people. And God is going to do this in his time. And here is Jacob saying the same thing to Joseph and to his sons. And so now to go back to verse number 22 of Hebrews chapter 11, remembering that it was about Joseph, go to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. And look in verse number 22. It says, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived in 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, what did Joseph say to his family? What did Joseph say to those who were still with him? He said, listen, God is going to visit you and God is going to bring you out of this land, which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. God is going to do something with us as a people. God is going to raise us up a nation. Does this make sense? Here is Isaac saying this to Jacob and Esau. This is Jacob saying it to Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh. And here is uh, Joseph saying it to his family that God is going to do these things. Now where did all this originate from? Why would Isaac say this to Jacob and Esau and, and Jacob to Joseph and his sons and Joseph's to his brethren? Where did all this come from? It came from Genesis chapter 12, when God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to take you to a certain land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. In Genesis chapter 12, here is what you've got. You've got God giving instructions to Abraham, saying, This is what I'm going to do for you and on your behalf. And what did the Scripture say of Abraham? The Scripture said of Abraham that he died not seeing the fruition of what God had promised. But you know what Abraham passed on to Isaac? He passed on the promises of God. Son, God's going to do something among us. 
Son, God is going to do something. God is going to raise up in our family. God is going to build up through us because He promised it. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of who we are. But God is going to do something through us. And so Isaac hears that from his father Abraham. And yet, by the time Isaac is about to die, what's happened? Not much. But you know what Isaac says to Jacob and Esau? Guys, it's coming. God's going to raise up a wonderful nation. God is going to do something great. God is going to do something wonderful. Guys, it's going to happen. I'm telling you, it's going to take place. And so here is Isaac, and what is he doing? He is passing on what Abraham said to him, to Jacob and to Esau. And so what is Jacob doing one day? He is coming to the end of his life. He is about to take his final breath. I mean, he is near the point of death. And what has happened in his life and in his family's life? Truth be told, not a whole lot has happened in the life of Jacob yet. Not anything that's real big and impressive. Only about 70 people in the family at this time. And what does Jacob say to Joseph and to Ephraim and Manasseh? It's coming. It's coming. There's coming a day where God is going to raise up a nation and God is going to, to do something fantastic and God is going to do something amazing. And so here is Jacob and he died in the exact same position as Isaac and Abraham not having seen it. And so here is Joseph. And what's he about to do? He's about to die. And what has he seen at this point in his life? What has he witnessed at this point in his life by way of a great nation? Truth be told, not a thing. But what did he say? He said, God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. What did he say? He said this, guys, it's coming. It's coming. God's going to do it. God's going to fulfill what He said. God is, listen, God is going to do as He's promised. Uh, I'm probably not communicating this the way that I want to. But here's what you've got. You've got Abraham saying to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob and Esau, Jacob to Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Joseph to whoever was standing around that day. And every one of these men died without seeing it, but every one of them died believing it was going to happen. And the suggestion is this, is that some 200 years passed between the promise that Abraham was given to Joseph on his deathbed saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Amen. 200 years had passed. Four generations are now gone. And you know what? All of them still believe with everything in them. They still believe God's going to do what God said he's going to do. God is faithful. He will perform. He will execute. He will enact everything that he said he's going to enact. And here is how they checked out, for lack of better terms. With complete confidence, God will do what God said He will do. Okay. Did Isaac have his failures? He certainly did. Did Jacob have his failures? He certainly did. Did Joseph have his failures? Of course he did, because he was a human. So we know that he had his failures. 
But you know how these men went out? They went out on top. Because they did not go out doubting. They did not go out skeptical. They did not go out saying, well, you know, I mean, I've always heard that something was going to happen, but nothing has happened. They, they didn't go out, you know, assuming that maybe God had changed His mind or wasn't able to perform or to accomplish what He had said He was going to do. No, with each passing generation, here is what you see. One generation after the next, dying and leaving this world with an absolute confidence whether we've seen it come to a fruition or not to this point God will do what God said he will do that is a good way to check out what does that have to do with me and you let's think about this for just a moment Over the years, however many years you'd like to consider, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people have passed through this earth. They've all engaged in the game of life. They were born, they lived, however many days God gave them. And here's what is true. At the end of their lives... They just kind of faded into eternity. That's how they left. God has given you and I life, obviously. I don't need to try to prove that, I don't think. Maybe sometimes it needs to be proven to us. But, but God has given us life, has He not? And every one of us We've had our share of failures, have we not? And I've had my share. There are parts of my heart that I don't want you to know about. There are certain things in my life that I'd rather keep secret until I go to the grave. I'm no different than any of you. You're like that, aren't you? I've struck out, I've bombed out, I've messed up, I, I've totally dropped the ball sometimes. But you know how I want to go out? I want to go out on top. I really do. Now obviously there are many things that factor into how I go out and how you go out. But it seems like at least a portion of the equation is made up of this. What we tell the next generation in relation to the faithfulness of God. You understand what I'm saying? If I want to go out on top, if you want to go out on top, there are many things that will contribute to that as to whether or not it happens the way that we would like for it to. But at least a portion of whether or not we go out on top is determined by what we say to the next generation as it relates to the faithfulness of God. That is what is important, at least to an extent, that I want to say to those coming up after me. God will always do.
what God said he will do. Why is it so important that I give that to some other person coming up behind me? Because by the grace of God, that's what somebody did on my behalf. There was somebody and there were many people in my life who, who as I was growing and as I was developing and as I was maturing, there were just certain people that God brought into my life and I am thankful for the influences that I've had in my life of those men and those women who came along and just said something to this effect without these exact words, but God is faithful and God will always do what He has said He will do. And so I look at what's been given to me and I think, how else can I go out on top or how can I go out on top if I am not saying to the next generation, God is faithful. See, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians. And regardless of whatever testimony they've heard, they kind of drop the ball, so to speak, in telling the next generation of the faithfulness of God. So here's how I look at it. Feel free to add to this any way that you would see fit. But I want to say something like this to the next generation, not just tonight, but throughout the course of my life. I want to say something like this. Young people, serve the Lord. Even when it's not easy. Because you'll be glad you did. Because God will bless it. God will honor it. And you will avoid so many of the snares and the traps of this life. God is faithful. I'm not the old timer, I know it. But I've been married long enough that I can say to some, you do what God's word says in your marriage. And you will reap the benefit and the blessing of it. God is faithful to His Word. So, sir, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. And, and ma'am, you submit to Him and you yield to Him and you follow His example. And there will not be a perfect marriage. I don't care who it is. But I want to say to that young couple who is just getting started, whoever it may be, any time that God gives me a chance, I want to say to them, God is faithful. And if you'll just handle your marriage the way that God has designed it to be handled, you will enjoy something that very few people get to enjoy. Whenever God gives chance, whenever God gives opportunity, I want to say to that young mom and dad who's struggling with their kids, stick with it. Stick with it. 
You just keep applying the principles of the Word of God. You just keep doing what the Word of God has said. You keep instilling in them the principles of the Scripture. You just keep doing what God's Word declares. Because if you will do that, I promise you God is faithful to His Word. I can't look at the next generation and say God is going to raise up a nation and, and God is going to deliver you into the land that, that, I, you know, that I will show you. I can't give them the same exhortation that Abraham did to Isaac and so on, but I can look to the next generation and say this, God is faithful. Young people, just serve the Lord. Just walk with God. When it's not popular, when it's not easy, just keep doing it. I promise you, in 20 years, you'll be the one who is glad you did, and they'll be the ones who are disappointed they didn't. Young couple, just keep following God. Young parents, just keep doing it. And as you go through life, any chance I get, I, I just... I want it to be that I would encourage others to say just... Be faithful. Because if I can't encourage others to be faithful to a faithful God, then how am I going to exit on top? So many times such bad advice is given by well-intended people. You know what I mean? They meant well, but what they said was dumb. That's not how you go out on top. You look at these coming up, the next generation, and no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances may be, you look at them and you say, God is faithful. God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. He always does what He says He will do. And if you'll just bank on that, you'll be glad you did in the days and weeks and months and years to come. So how do we go out on top? Okay, we tell others that God is faithful and we need to encourage them to be faithful. But that has a whole lot to do with certain choices we make. You understand this? Yeah, the athlete wants to go out on top. Okay, well, big boy, you've got to make some decisions that will get you to where you want to be when you go out. And if I want to go out on top, I know I'm not going to get it right every time. I know that I'm going to, to make mistakes. I get it. But there have just got to be certain choices and certain decisions that I'm going to make that will get me to where one day, if it's me on my deathbed and I've got some people gathered around me, there have got to be some choices that I start making now so that whenever I'm looking up into their faces, I can say this without any hesitation, he's faithful. Just be faithful to him. And I think sometimes we're guilty of not thinking about the decisions we're making and how it affects our heart, how it affects our thinking, how it affects our outlook sometimes. And I just want to encourage us tonight to be reminded of this truth. He's faithful. He really is. Whether we get excited about it tonight or not is irrelevant. He is faithful. And if we really believe that He is faithful... 
We need to pass that on to the next generation. And in order to do that, we're going to have to make some choices that actually bring us to the point where we teach of the faithfulness of God and where our testimony is actually believable to those who hear our declaration that God is faithful. I'll close with this and then we'll just be done. On many occasions in the recent weeks and months for different reasons that I wouldn't share with you tonight, but I've thought about the testimony of Lot. What did Lot want when he knew destruction was coming? When he knew the final days were about to take place, what did Lot want? Lot wanted his family to be saved, right? But he had a testimony that had no credibility. See, if I'm going to tell the next generation that God is faithful and God is faithful and God is faithful and just trust the Lord, he'll do what he says. If that's what I'm going to say, then I've got to make some choices that will give some credibility to my testimony that God really is everything that, he, that I say that he is, that the word of God declares that he is. I just want us to think about it. How do you want to go out? You want to go out on top, don't you? Okay, a lot of things are involved in that. But part of it is, you've got to tell the next generation, he's faithful. He does what he says he's going to do. And we've got to live in such a way that we'll actually be there at that moment in our lives when it's time to say it. And we've got to live in such a way that our testimony is credible and believable. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to be those men and women who say to the next generation, you are faithful. Though we may not have seen everything that we would have liked to have witnessed in our personal lives, I pray that that would never distract us or deter us from your faithfulness. God, if we go all of our lives not seeing what we thought we were going to get to enjoy, I pray that that would never keep us from telling the next generation of those who are following you that you are faithful. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who live in such a way that when we declare your faithfulness, it's actually believable by those who are following after us. So I pray that you'd bless now the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.